You're listening to the Smoke Signals Podcast, hosted by Jake Dungan and other IBI contributors. We're talking tribe. Well, good day, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you happen to be tuning in. We are glad to have you aboard a somber podcast this week on the Smoke Signals podcast as October baseball is officially underway and unfortunately the Cleveland Indians are among those on the outside looking in and it was for some something we kind of foresaw, I mean including my co-host Justin Lotta who actually predicted it a couple weeks ago, it was a toss-up, you could have been a coin flip either way on where whether the Indians were going to be in or not as a wild card, but um, in the end, Justin, sadly you ended up being proven right as the Indians uh, fell short of their postseason uh, contention goals, uh, falling just outside of the wild card hunt as the uh, A's and the Rays uh, secured those two spots, and the Rays ended up advancing to the ALDS. So, um, first of all, uh, glad to talk to you this week, and un- Wish it was under better circumstances, but uh, 2019 season for the Indians is in the books. Yeah, and to be fair, we, uh, we didn't get a podcast out last week because we had some audio issues, but I did say last week the return of Jose Ramirez may be a lot more optimistic. I know that didn't reach the airwaves, but um, after he hit three home runs in two days, I thought for sure the Indians had a better chance than I gave him credit for when he was back in the lineup, but it all just kind of came crashing down. The pitching got tired and uh, I think everybody was just kind of tired. They had to expend so much energy just making up ground in the playoff race uh, and didn't have enough left at the end. And you also have to give credit to the, the Rays and the, the A's and even the twins. None of them blinked down the stretch. All their guys, Performed like crazy on the stretch. The Rays just never lost an extra game. I mean, you got to get a lot of credit. And even if the Indians would have had a great final week, they still would have been having to play a one-game playoff because Tampa Bay just refused to lose. So did Oakland. Yeah, I mean, the Indians, um, as you said, you know, the other teams didn't blink, and unfortunately the Indians did. Um, yeah, when we recorded last week, it was – a lot more of a positive vibe because we were talking about Jose Ramirez coming back, hitting those uh, three home runs in two days. The Indians had won eleven uh, nothing against the White Sox after uh, taking two out of three from the Phillies and sweeping the Tigers. So they had won after that first game in the uh, White Sox series. They had won uh, six of their last seven going to that uh, second uh, game against the White Sox where the five-game losing streak started. And uh, so we were feeling pretty good, and it was looking like they might have a a chance here. But, uh, you know, they lost 8-3 to in that second game, and after that it just kind of snowballed from there because they really could not afford to lose pretty much any of these games, but let alone those last two games against the White Sox. I think that was kind of the uh, the – final nail in the coffin there because White Sox are an inferior team and, you know, in numerous tighter races, the Indians were, you can't afford to lose games like that against the White Sox. And then the Nationals come in and sweep them. Of course, the Nationals were uh, uh, playing for that wild card spot as well. And they too ended up advancing to the NLDS after defeating the Brewers in the wild card game 
on the National League side. So um, they were a hot team going into that series and uh, just took advantage of the Indians when they were down. And uh, so now, yeah, as we said, the Indians uh, not making the playoffs for the first time in three years uh, since 2015. And uh, it's, you know, it's, I know it's only three years and, you know, it's not uh, a very long streak of making the playoffs, but, you know, after that World Series run in 2016, you know, 2017 and even 2018, you know, we were feeling like, okay, this team is a World Series contender and we wanted to see them get back and finish what they started in 2016, finally winning that final game, but it never got past the ALDS those two years, so now to come back down to earth in this way and not make the playoffs at all is kind of a sobering moment and, you know, it's a time of transition for the Indians. Uh, some guys are going to be on their way out. We've got a lot of new faces coming in, which we'll discuss all here in detail on our recap of the season. But um, I think there's some positives to take away from 2019, even though that didn't end the way we wanted it to. But um, we'll we'll get into all that here in a second here. But if you wanted to just, like, summarize your – general takeaway from the 2019 season, uh, how would you characterize it? Yeah, I'm having a real hard time with that. I'm actually in the middle of writing something. I've been trying to write this since Tuesday. Um, one, I was waiting for the end-of-the-year press conference with Francona and Antonetti, which was supposed to be Tuesday, and got pushed back to Wednesday. But even with some of those notes, I had a hard time writing because it, it, the season was just so strange and complex. It was like almost three seasons broken up into one. I mean, you had April, which I don't know how the Indians survived April. We don't, I mean, the bullpen was better than it should have been maybe because the offense sure wasn't good. Uh, Kluber wasn't good. Clevenger got hurt in the second start. So I have no idea how that team was 16 and 12 in April. Um, they were pretty bad in May and they were, they stuck with Carlos Gonzalez too long and Hanley Ramirez didn't get a long leash, but he was terrible when he was in there. Uh, and then they got hot with Oscar Mercado coming up and, and um, Clevenger coming back and, and having an easier schedule. The bullpen's still being really good. Then they were, you know, pretty good in July. And then they were okay in August. And then September, they were pretty bad. It was just, uh, they ran out of gas. They had so many injuries. Like, I don't know. You look at it as, I kind of look at it in three ways. You have so many starting pitching injuries. It's, it's unfathomable that the Indians won 93 games, how many injuries they had. And with Jose Ramirez being terrible the first half, um, 93 wins isn't as much as it used to be because there's so many teams that aren't trying to win, especially in your own division. You have the uh, Royals and Tigers that, are, that weren't trying to win this year openly. So 93 wins is kind of not up to the measure it used to be. But at the same time, you know, they still won 93 games despite all that, and it's amazing that they were in that race at the end anyway, and 93 wins got the Nationals in to uh, hosting a wild card game in the National League, but, you know, plus teams were tanking in the National League. So it's a, it was a weird year. I think I think you can be frustrated, disappointed, and optimistic all at the same time, if that makes any sense. I think that's a good characterization because I think it's fair to feel any one or if not all of those emotions in terms of how to react to this 2019 season because I agree with you. It was strange on a lot of levels. There was positives. There was negatives. There was frustration. There was everything to be had. Um, It was so weird because the Indians 
were the only team with uh, 90 wins, if I recall, that uh, did not make the postseason in all of baseball. So yep. it, was just, it was just because the American League was so stacked, and we kind of knew that going in. We knew the Yankees were going to be amazing. The Astros were going to be amazing. We didn't quite see the Twins winning 100 games this year, but um, they played – they they play on a similar level to the Astros and the Yankees pretty much all year long, and then yeah the the Rays and the A's down the stretch were just relentless. You can't you got to give them credit. Tip your cap to them. They stepped up when they needed to and made sure that they secured those postseason spots. Now one of those teams ended up going home after the one game playoff, but you know that's the nature of the game now with the two wild card teams. But um, yeah they they stepped up when they needed to and the Indians just didn't and you know you can't put it all on them because of the injuries but um at the same time you know you your September schedule you were playing teams like Detroit and uh the White Sox and uh I know you had some games in there with the Twins and the Phillies and Nationals as well but um you needed to take care of business when you needed to and um you know looking at their September schedule now they lost Four of their uh, seven games against the White Sox. Uh, that's pretty big when you're in a uh, tight uh, race for the wild card. That looms pretty large. And, of course, that five-game win- losing streak at the end of the season didn't uh, help matters either. But um, So uh, a couple of news notes to uh, get to. Uh, the Indians did announce that they have – Intend, the intention to pick up Corey Kluber's option for 2020. So Kluber's going to be coming back for one more season at least. And, um, you know, if healthy, he's, I mean, obviously we know he's not going to be Cy Young contender Corey Kluber anymore. But, you know what, he doesn't need to be. He, I don't think he really needs to be the uh, dominant force at the top of the rotation that the Indians have needed him to be for uh, uh, several years now because they've had Shane Bieber and Mike Clevenger step up into those ace roles. So really all they need Kluber for is to be a veteran presence in the rotation and to be a solid like middle-of-the-rotation arm. And I think even at this point in his career, I think Kluber is still capable of doing that for at least one more season. So... I can completely understand. I mean, yeah, the money might be a little much for where he is in his career now, but I, I'm not against bringing Kluber back for one more season. Yeah, I mean, what's what's the alternative? If they decide to decline the option, what are you going to do? Are you going to hope that you're able to re-sign him to a lesser deal, but then that puts him out in the open market? Um, and I'm pretty sure there are a lot of teams out there that are willing to bet on Kluber bouncing back, like you said, probably not Cy Kluber, but, you know, I think it's pretty obvious that Clem and Bieber are ready to be the number one and two guys in this rotation, if any, if this year means anything. You get Carrasco back as a starter next year. Right. So Kluber's only got to be as good as the third or fourth starter. And, exactly. and I, I, like you said, that's a lot to pay for a, a lot to pay for a third or fourth starter, obviously. But, again, what's the alternative? You – you turn his option down and you hit, let him hit the open market. Again, someone's going to bet on Corey Kluber bouncing back to be good enough. So you're competing for his services. And you just saw how important it was to have pitching depth this year when he and Carrasco and Clevenger all went down with various injuries and, and uh, conditions. You're going to risk your, your depth by declining a guy who has been your workhorse. I, I get they could probably spend the money better elsewhere, but – the alternative is not that great, so I think the Indians were kind of forced to pick up the option whether they really could afford, I don't want to say could afford to, but 
whether they liked the, the situation or not, I think they were forced into picking up the option, and I think it's the right call, even if it's a little bit much for who Corey Kluber is at this stage of his career. Never can have too much pitching depth, and I think that anybody who objects to picking up Kluber, uh, again, if you want to argue uh, allocating your uh, financial assets uh, in other areas, that I think is it has some validity to it, and I can understand that. But if in terms of actually uh, Corey Kluber in his own uh, value and right to bring what he brings to the Indians, I think he still brings something. Um, not the, like I said, not the ace pitcher that he was, but I still think he brings value in what he actually has become now at this point in his career. And like I said, if you bring, he's probably the number four starter. I mean, Tito's still probably going to give him the benefit of the doubt as uh, the leader of this rotation, uh, more likely than not. But um, this is uh, Mike Clevenger and and Shane Bieber's uh, Burden to tote now, and then you probably have Carrasco as your number three guy who still has some who who still has some bullets left in the chamber, and uh, Corey Kluber probably becomes your fourth best starter, which is, you know, I think he's capable of handling Incredible. that. As long, yeah, and um, then if yeah, you how sh- many teams would love to have Corey Kluber as a fourth starter? Absolutely. So then the uh, then you get to the point of where you either have. Somebody uh, like Adam Plutko, Zach Plezak, or Aaron Savali is your number five starter. And then you can start the year with either one, some mix of them either in the bullpen or in AAA. Uh, imagine having th- two of the three starters who were key starters um, for most of the year due to injuries uh, not actually starting in the rotation, actually having them as depth uh, starting next year. I think that uh, you're in a very good position if you can if you can uh, swing that. And then not to mention all the options who are starting to work their way up, like the Eli Morgans, the Logan Allen, Scott Moss, uh, uh, Adam Scott, uh, and uh, Sam Henkes, all those guys who are working their way up towards the uh, AAA level in the upper reaches of the farm system. So, uh, the more depth you can have, the better for the Indians. And uh, so on that on that end, I don't think that picking up Corey Kluber's option was a mistake. It's expensive, but I think it's not something that should be uh, looked upon as a mistake. No, it's not. Like I said, we, we both agree that it's, it's a lot for him at this stage of his career, but I think the Indians know based on what happened this year. And, you know, they, get, they picked up Michael Brantley's option when – Everybody said that was a bad idea, too, and look how that turned out. They bet on Brantley, and he worked his way back into a great 2018, and I expect Kluber to be the same. I mean, we know they've said time and time again how hard Kluber works, that you know he's going to get himself back. I mean, he was still trying to work back from the oblique issue, potentially be available to pitch in the playoffs, even if it was just for an inning. Like, the guy was not quitting. So I think the Indians are going to bet on that and the talent to be – a valuable rotation member, even at that price. And look what it does to your rotation. Like you said, look at the depth they're going to have because of Kluber coming back. I mean, Adam Plutko's out of options. So my my assumption is that they're going to roll with Adam Plutko as the fifth starter, which is fine. I think Adam Plutko is, is fine in that role. He's not as good as the other four guys, but neither was Josh Tomlin. You know, I think we should be used to that. I mean, Adam Plutko would be – five on a lot of teams anywhere else and and i think a lot of guys a lot of teams would take him every fifth day depending on who top four are and in your triple a rotation is going to be logan allen zach Plesek, aaron savali and logan or uh yeah so you got you know 
Plesak, Savali, and Logan Allen leading your rotation down there. Tristan McKenzie. Um, and yeah, if he comes back, I think he yeah he could be there. And like you said, Scott Moss, Eli Morgan. I mean, you're going to have options at AAA. So just by having Kluber back ready to go, you extend your depth a little bit, and that's exactly why they're going to. That's why they're going to have Kluber, and that's why they're also going to stick with Plutko, I would imagine. Yeah, it makes sense in that regard. So uh, I'm sure we'll see more of that develop as we get go through the offseason and head towards spring training next year, how that all comes together. But uh, I think that any Indians fan who has paid close attention to what has happened this season should not in their right mind object to bringing back Kluber because the more pitching depth you have, especially in the starting rotation, the better. So um, good on the Indians for doing that, um, even though it comes at a price, and uh, making sure that they secure that rotation depth for 2020 because I think it only it only helps them. So uh, uh, other news note uh, to hit on uh, – Indians plan to keep all of their coaching staff intact for 2020, which we kind of expected because uh, Tito likes to keep most of his guys around, except for uh, bullpen coach Scott Atchison, who the team announced they've dismissed uh, after 2019. And, you know, some people were reading into this a little bit on Twitter saying, like, well, it's not necessarily his fault that the bullpen underperformed or fell apart or whatever you want to look at. It's just that they didn't have – the options to really uh, sustain the kind of dominance that we've seen from them in the past when, you know, Cody Allen and Andrew Miller and Brian Shaw were there in their prime. So um, I don't want to put it all on Scott Atchison, but at the same time, though, I think that the bullpen has underperformed to a degree um, since Atchison was put in the uh, bullpen role. Uh, I think back to, like, when Jason Beret was the uh, bullpen coach or even going back to uh, – even going back to when um, uh, Kevin Cash, Kevin Cash, yeah, in the bullpen. Uh, that I think that the bullpen. Again, I'm not. I'm an outsider, just giving my uh, thoughts based on my perspective. But it seemed to me that they they were in better hands uh, under those two guys than under Scott Atchison. No disrespect to Scott Atchison intended, but you know he's new in his coaching career. He just came off the field not too long ago. So uh, wish him all the best. But uh, any thoughts on uh, that minor coaching change? Yeah, the comment was interesting. They said that they were looking for a different skill set in that position, um, which is why they – I think they, they let Bray go because they didn't want to lose Scott Atchison to their team. And now they're saying they – want a different skill set than Atchison brings the bullpen. It's hard to really guess what that really means, to be honest, but I can't blame Atchison. I mean, think about it. He Okay, so he took over last year. Andrew yeah. Miller was a shell of himself last year. Cody Allen was a shell of himself last year. Brad Hand was good when he got here until the end. Um, you know, Dan Otero wasn't as good as he was a year, you know, in his first couple of years at the Indians. I'm trying to think who else in that bullpen. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not blaming Scott Atchison for the bullpen last year. I just can't. Not when your your best two guys were just absolutely run down because of um, innings wearing down in their arms and the Indians not addressing the the issue until they traded for Brad Hand. And then the same thing this year. I mean, Brad Hand's arm went tired. I can't blame Scott Atchison for. I mean, what do they do? Why they they use Brad Hand a lot in the first half? You know that we that that happened. They had to do that to be good, and he had a great first half, and that's the only reason they were you know, straddling 500 in May because of how good Brad Hand was. And they were winning a lot of games with no runs because the bullpen wasn't giving up any runs. And the bullpen was over – I think the bullpen overperformed in the first half. I know 
Nick Goody was terrible down the stretch. But Nick Wickren had a pretty good year. Um, Kyle Clipper was I don't know solid to the that. end. Yeah, Clipper was solid to the end. I don't know what to make of Adam Simber at this point, but I don't know if Adam Simber's skill set really translates at this point in, in the major league, especially going the next year when um, you know the, the three batter minimum, minimum is instituted. Oliver Perez was great all year. He had like you know one or two bad games. That was really it. I can't fault Scott Atchison for anything that went wrong this year. I think it was a an organizational thing. And, and remember, Nick Goody did not pitch last year because he was hurt. So coming back off injury, he pitched a lot this year. They didn't try to rely on him a lot, and he fell apart at the end of the year too. And he also, I don't think he's also an eighth inning guy. I think he's a a sixth or seventh inning guy. So you relied on him a lot, a little bit too much at the end too. They were just short relievers. I mean, Carrasco tried, and he was good in some spots, but just didn't overall have his best stuff at the end of the year. I, I, there's, I don't think there's anything you could say about Atchison on that. I think it's just going to – I'd be curious to see who, what they go with and if anybody asked them about it because I don't buy that explanation about a different skill set. You, They chose to keep Atchison from getting picked off by another team by firing Jason Bure. So what changed in the year? Something doesn't add up. I'm not saying it's a big conspiracy, but I, 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 that's why I'm not buying the explanation. I don't know. It's just it's something that uh, I I wasn't kind of expecting that. I was kind of expecting just the whole pit, uh, coaching staff to come back next year. Um, but, again, we wish Scott Atchison all the best. I think he has a, a pretty good coaching career ahead of him. But um, any thoughts, because this was kind of the hot take going around Twitter at, about uh, Ty Van Berkeley keeping his job, because I don't think a lot of people are very pleased with his work. Not really. I mean, I really don't know what you say. I mean, should they go in a different direction? Probably. I don't think Van Berkeley has been great. But at the same time, how much – I think people really overrate how much influence these guys have. I mean, what it really comes down to is, is scouting reports and getting hitters prepared and, and I guess finding little tweaks. But – yeah, I'd have been okay if they went in a different direction. I think they probably should, but I think we both know that's not going to happen. I think, I mean, the, what the bullpen coach is the only thing the Indians have ever really turned over under Francona. Um, yeah. The only other times anybody, the only times that the, the, the coaching staff has changed is because Kevin Cash got hired as a manager, Mickey Callaway got hired as a manager, and then got fired today. Yep. And um, they took, I think. He's lost. I, I, I'm trying to think how did Van Berkeley will get the job because the hitting coach they had, did he go with Kevin Cash? Was that Derek Shelton? I don't remember. I know they Van Berkeley wasn't the original hitting coach, was he? I thought he was. I think he. I has think he been he's there. Been, he been here. I think he's been here since Tito's been here. Okay, so maybe. But either way, the only turnover on the staff has been the bullpen job, which now you fired two guys and you one got hired away and then he got hired away. So. I'm not surprised. They probably should go in a different direction, but I mean, I also think that we give too much credit. Like people want to blame these guys for when things go wrong, when things go right, you don't give them any credit. So, you know, which way is it? You know, I I think people just overrate how much impact it comes down to. I mean, but again, I would like to see them go in a more, I hate to say it because it's kind of a, a hot, like you said, it's a hot take. I would like to see them go to someone who's a little more data and analytical driven in the dugout, but under Frank Cohen, that's just not going to happen. 
Oh, come on, Justin. You know if uh, Jim Tomey was the hitting coach, we'd be hitting 600-foot bombs every night. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that would be, make a whole difference. I mean, they could bring somebody else in, and it wouldn't matter. I mean, shoot, the, the Phillies fired. I forgot who the Phillies hitting coach was, but he was kind of, I mean, Gabe Kapler is pretty heavy on, as far as um, using all the data that he can get. And the hitting coach he hired, I believe, was kind of of the same ilk. And then they fired him, and then, you know, Charlie Manuel came in, and the Phillies took off. And that, that's, you know, coincidental, I would assume. But, you know, maybe the same thing happens here. But, yeah, like you said, if Jim Tony was the hitting coach, I'm sure they'd be great. Like, you can totally predict that, right? <laughs> that, that, that always uh, cracks me up whenever – that, you know, I can understand frustration with Ty Van Berkeley because, you know, the Indians have had their offensive inconsistency. But the fact that, you know, they just think, oh, we'll pick a, gr- a great Indians hitter from the past and hire him as the hitting coach. And all of a sudden that will fix all the problems that, that I always get cracked up about that because great talent doesn't always translate to great coaching. So I'm not saying that Jim Tomey wouldn't be a, a good hitting coach or not, but I'm just saying that you can't automatically assume that. Oh, yeah, changing a head coach or a manager doesn't automatically fix things. You don't know that. It's like everybody wants to fire Francona, whoever you bring in, you know. Maybe Joe Girardi would be a better manager than Francona. I don't know. We don't know that. It's You can say it all you like because you don't like the results. You don't like the way the season ends. But you have no way of knowing that's true. And, you know, the Indians value stability, and I can't fault them for that because they are the best team in baseball since Francona took over. Or darn near close to it if someone's passed them. I think it's just uh... – managers, coaches, whoever in any sport, if they're there a long time, if they're not winning championships, if they're not Bill Belichick and winning championships every year, I think they just grow stale because, you know, the uh, Pirates just fired uh, – the Pirates just fired their manager after nine seasons as well. I think they just – I mean, not that the Pirates have uh, won any championships, uh, but it's. I think it's just uh, – you know, after a certain period of time, uh, you know, you're ready to go in a different direction if uh, you're not, like I said, if you're not winning championships every year, um, eventually you, fans just get ri- tired of the same old, same old and want to get a fresh face in there. Whether it's justified or not, I think that's just the nature of how things develop and happen um, over time. So I, th- I agree I think- with you, and I also think that some people, I, I'm not going to sit here and call it fans, but I think there are some people who, would rather see the Indians lose 90 games so they have an excuse to fire Francona and the rest of the staff. I truly believe that, just if you look at Twitter. Yeah, fortunately, I've been off of social media kind of a lot lately due to the wedding planning and everything going on. But, um, yeah, I've, I've caught a, a glimpses of it from time to time, so I know what you're talking about. But, uh, anyway, uh, moving along here, um, if you were – before we get into the – I wanted to shift things to the positive a little bit here, but uh, just to kind of put a finer point on what went wrong for the Indians in 2019 that led to them falling short of the postseason, what would you say would be the biggest contributing factor in your in your perspective? Probably just, I guess I think they ran out of gas at the end. I think the injuries caught up with them at the end, and they didn't have the uh, – okay, so the, I think it's two things, twofold. They, the injuries finally caught up with them, and they didn't have the depth to withstand the, injury, withstand the injuries because I'm not going to just blame the injuries because the Brewers went 13-2 and without Christian Yelich to get in the playoffs, which, you know, is a little bit fluky, but also they had, the, they had a good team. Um, and the Yankees survived a lot of injuries this year as well and made the playoffs. So I'm not going to blame the injuries solely on the reason the Indians didn't make it. I'm going to say they didn't build the correct depth to withstand injuries and, 
they've pretty much had the worst injury luck they've had, which is unbelievable, to be honest, um, given how, you know, things went in 2016 and 2017 at times that they've had in this whole run. I would say this is the worst injury luck they've had in the last four years. Yeah, and uh, not having the depth to withstand that, I think, hurt them as well because, um, you know, when you're down the stretch. That's their own fault. They only have themselves to blame for that. That's, this is true because, you know, you go down the stretch and Jose is hurt and you're playing Ryan Flaherty. And at, as a, on a starting infield role, I think you got some problems there. And uh, Mike Freeman, although Mike Freeman did uh, have some uh, positive production this year. But still, you know, if you're at a point where you don't have that kind of depth to withstand that, I mean, when you're – when you have uh, infielders, starting infielders get hurt, like Lindor and Ramirez and Kipnis did this year, and you don't have uh, viable secondary options other than, I mean, your next viable option is Mike Freeman, and after that you got Yu Chang, who you know has upside, but was pretty much lost at the plate uh, in the majors, and then Ryan Flaherty, who is who he is, he's not going to give you much a positive productivity at this point in a starting role. So uh, yeah, that's. Uh, Lack of depth on their part, and they, I think they definitely dropped the ball as far as uh, beefing that up a little bit. Um, hopefully that, with the prospects that are starting to develop, that can change moving forward. But, um, yeah, I think that injuries and lack of depth definitely uh, led to their demise uh, this season. But um, what about the positive takeaways? Just to kind of keep, I don't want to make this an all doom and gloom, you know, the season's over what was us podcast, but, uh, I, cause in my mind, I think there were some real positive takeaways from the 2019 season that can be carried over into 2020 and beyond. And, uh, I wanted to start first with the rookie developments because between, uh, Oscar Mercado and, uh, you know, even though he's not a rookie anymore, Shane Bieber, and then, uh, some of the other, uh, starters, Aaron Savale, uh, and, uh, and please act, please act, uh, even even though he got hurt uh, when he was on the mound, Jeffrey Rodriguez really helped save the rotation for a little bit, and we saw Bobby Bradley for a stint. And uh, I think that the rookie production, especially I think from uh, Oscar Mercado, um, was really something that the Indians could build on uh, moving forward because they definitely have their center fielder for the a foreseeable future, I would say. But uh, what would you say about these rookie developments in 2019 that uh, could be uh, impactful positively uh, in 2020 and moving forward? Yeah, I think I actually feel pretty good about 2020, despite how things went this year. I mean, you've got Plesak, who you know can be a fifth starter now. You've got Savali, who can be plugged in. Like I said, Beaver is not a rookie, but Beaver and Clevenger both prove they can lead a rotation. Uh, and and I, I'm not worried about Clevenger's injury thing. That was a fluke. I'm not. He pitched 200 innings last year, so I don't think there's anything to worry about with Clevenger's health at all. He came back and he was better than he. He was just as good, except for two fluky starts uh, before he got hurt. And like you said, Mercado was good. So you have center field locked down for next year. You don't have to worry about uh, any kind of competition for center field or at least one outfield spot locked down. So that's one less thing to worry about in the offseason, considering how dreadful this off the, the outfield's been for the last couple of years. Um, there, there were good steps. Like I said, I, I do feel better about 2020 
And I, I always, I feel like that was always going to be the case. I felt like the Indians were hoping that that Minnesota wasn't going to be this good. And it's hard to, everything went right for Minnesota. I think the Indians were kind of hoping that things weren't going to go this perfectly for them. I Obviously they didn't plan for this many injuries, but they didn't plan for, they also didn't prepare themselves for that many injuries, but I think the plan was always to kind of reload for 2020 and hope that 2019 wasn't such a big step back. And because the injuries in Minnesota's emergence, it was a step back, but I think the plan was always to be better in 2020 than 2019. So I think it went well from that regard. And I, I think that their lineup looks good for next year. And you know, Jose, you know, not a rookie, but we saw how bad he was at the end of 2018. He was bad for the first half of 2019. And then all of a sudden he transformed back into MVP candidate. So hopefully he's got that figured out. And then you get a consistent Ramirez next year too. Um, and you don't have, you don't have uh, Eric Stamets and Max Moroff playing up the middle next year for the first two weeks of the season either. So, um, you know, Lindor recovered from his injuries, which is important because that was pretty scary to see him to get two back-to-back injuries to start the season. So, yeah, there were some good things, and I think there's a lot of prospects who moved their way up the, the, the rankings and, either as guys who could emerge for next season or guys you could use as trade bait as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the rookie developments this year. Uh, Mercado being the number one. I also like some of the developments of some of their new guys, like uh, Jordan Luplo, I think, has established himself as a potential starting outfield candidate. I know they were using him mostly in a platoon role, but I think he's proven himself capable to be a starting outfielder if needed. Uh, and... I also love how about the how about uh, Roberto Perez uh, proving he can be a starting catcher, not only uh, be a viable starting catcher defensively, but also offensively. I think that um, he's proven that uh, trading Jan Gomes was um, well. While it was hard because you know it was a luxury to have both uh, Gomes and Perez on your on your catching staff. Uh, because both of them were so good defensively and both provided some uh, positive offensive output. But, you know, obviously you can compare the numbers and look at how Jan Gomes did in Washington, not that great, versus Perez, who had a career year in Cleveland. I think that, you know, he this was a huge step that I think probably doesn't get a, the kind of attention that it deserved in 2019 because I think that, you know, trading Gomes was a huge risk for the Indians because you trade your starting catcher and your leader behind the plate and hand the starting uh, job over to Perez, who, you know, has been good in, in smaller uh, smaller sample sizes but hadn't really shown himself yet when handed the starting role, and he took it and ran with it this year. I think that deserves as much attention as anything. Yeah, I mean, that's really good to see. It was not great to have, not have – like you said, having two of the best catchers in baseball defensively, or at least two guys that you felt comfortable about. Lucky, obviously, not as, I don't know, well, Perez was not a great hitter, at least from the stats perspective, when he backed up Gomes because he didn't get the consistent playing time. So I guess Pulecki was about as good as Gomes was, or uh, as good as Perez was as a backup. So I guess they didn't really lose anything. And actually, Pulecki was a better framer than I thought, than I think anybody thought. So you didn't really lose anything, and you gained, you know, you they dump salary and they gained Daniel Johnson, Jeffrey Rodriguez, which 
we we were going back to the pitching thing. We both we both skipped over Jeffrey Rodriguez as a positive development because he was pretty. I mean, he wasn't great. He wasn't as great as Savali or I don't think Plesac at times. But even though Plesac outpitched his FIP, um, but Jeffrey Rodriguez is another guy who's going to be rotation depth for next year too. So to backtrack a little bit, but yeah, you didn't lose anything in your backup catcher because Perez was not hitting much as a backup catcher, but like you said, he blossomed into a starter and. Um, he should win a gold glove, which is no surprise. But, yeah, he had 24 home runs, and now you can expect him to be a 20-home run hitter next year, I would think, depending on what kind of baseballs MLB puts in. You never know if they're going to change it. So, But he, he had the power. We knew that. And exactly. the patience. Exactly, yeah. I love that he still maintained the patience, too, which was nice to see. So, yeah, doing that, uh, gaining uh, Johnson and Rodriguez, as you said, and yeah, Rodriguez for at least a week or two. I would think you could say he single-handedly kept the rotation from imploding due to injuries uh, by holding down. He could he turned in like two, three, four solid starts in a row and uh, kept the Indians afloat when uh, they needed him to the most. And uh, yeah, he kind of started to fall apart there before he got hurt, but uh, I think he's still a viable rotation option. I'm still intrigued at him. By him as a bullpen arm in the future, but um, yeah, definitely deserves to get some credit there and some praise for what he did in 2019. But um, uh, kind of along the same vein as uh, with the Gomes trade, and then with the rookies like Mercado uh, showing up, and then Luplo showing up. How about the trades the Indians have made uh, in recent, uh, the last couple of years? Because you know, I know Brad Handen. Uh, pitched too well down the stretch, but I think he's still worth the uh, the Mejia trade based on how Mejia has been doing in uh, with the Padres. And then you got, of course, Jeffrey Rodriguez and Daniel Johnson for, for Gomes. You got uh, Oscar Mercado for Connor Capel. Um, you got Jordan Luplo and uh, Max Moroff, who I know didn't play well. He got them for who? What was it? Eric Gonz- that was Eric Gonzalez, right? Who, uh, yeah, Eric Gonzalez and uh, Tanaj Thomas. Tanaj Thomas, that's right. So uh, at least Lupo you got out of that. So I got to give credit to the Indians. You know, they've always done very well in the trade market, but I think they've done even better by their standards of the last couple of years as far as pulling off some sneaky deals. Of course, we know the Trevor Bauer deal, uh, the great return they got for that. But in these smaller deals, I think they've won out pretty well as well. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Mercado deal was – something nobody thought of because when they traded for who do they trade for the trading deadline last year? It was just Leonis Martin. And then they got Donaldson in, in August. So right. I remember hearing the story. I think, I think uh, Zach Meisel of the athletic was talking about it and he was saying, Anthony came in and said at the end of the press conference and Oh, by the way, we made another trade. We traded Connor Cable for Oscar Mercado. And everyone was like, Oh, okay. Like, what does that mean? And then, yeah, this, this happened this year. So, yeah, they are. They've always been good at those trades. They've always been good. I mean, Corey Kluber. Nobody thought that was going to be. I mean, even the Indians by their own admission didn't think that he was going to be this good. But it's one of those things the Indians have been good at. Um, going back to when Mark Shapiro was here, when they traded um, Ben Broussard and uh, Eduardo Perez for Sinsu Juna and Jubal Cabrera. And then I think this big deal, I think the big deal with Bauer, I think is going to work out long term. Puig was solid when he was here, and and I know he didn't hit for much power at the end, but he hit, and he was a consistent presence in right field, and he controlled the run, uh, running game with his arm in right field. It was fun to watch at times. 
And then now you have Framil Reyes, who's probably your fourth or fifth hitter next year, and your one through five spots in the order are pretty much locked in for 2020, you would think. So that's good. And I don't know. If, I mean, as far as small trades go, I'm a little skeptical about the Hunter Wood and Christian Arroyo trades. Um, just because I really like Ruben Cardenas, and I don't like trading with Tampa Bay. And then we should probably get into the Jake Bowers and Yandy Diaz thing before we get out of here. Yeah. I guess this is going to be our last regular podcast of the year. We should probably get into that next. But I'm a little I'm a little leery of that deal, and I'm a little leery of the, the deal for Arroyo and Wood because I was not impressed by Hunter Wood. And who knows what Carlos Arroyo is going to be next year because he's been consistently hurt. Yeah, Christian Arroyo. Um Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, Ruben Cardenas, I agree. He was a guy who could have been – it seemed like he was on the rise as a prospect, especially on the power side. Um, so I I think that it's fair to be a little uh, skeptical about that. But um, as far as everything else goes, um, other than the uh, Jake Bowers, Yandy Diaz, that, that I don't know. Does that just give more credence to the fact that the Indians have some kind of problem with Yandy Diaz, whether it was – uh, with his how he worked, uh, how he, uh, what he did on the field, uh, if he wasn't following their advice to try to hit for more power, or what what it was, or some kind of uh, Francona bias against him that we've discussed in the past and speculated about with other players. But um, Jake Bowers obviously hasn't worked out this season. Uh, we'll see if what twenty twenty brings, but I feel like that that's going to be kind of make or break for him. But uh, that's definitely a deal that doesn't look good in hindsight. One of the few deals that really doesn't look good right now. And since you said you went on social media, I'm going to assume you did not see the comments from Francona about Bowers in their exit meeting yesterday? I did not, actually. Okay, so let's let's hear your instant reaction to this, because I've already given mine on Twitter, but... Um, Francona at the exit meeting with Bowers said they had a really productive exit meeting, and it was basically, but he said Bowers admitted to this, that he had issues with um, developing a routine and some consistency where some days he would go four for four and think he didn't need to go in the batting cage and didn't need to take BP or anything. And then he had days where he'd go for four and he was too mad to listen. Mm. And Francona had said, you know, he needs to get better at that next year. He needs to be a little more consistent and, get into some routines that help him so he can avoid the highs and lows that automatically right there did not sit well with me. And I don't think it sit well with anybody. Yeah. And Zach Meisel happened to drop that transcript right after Yanni Diaz, I think hit a second home run last night. So good timing for all that to come uh, out. So yeah, what's, <laughs> there's a lot to digest there. Uh, not just, based on Jake Bowers cuz obviously that's not good for any player to hear about that he was he got frustrated too easily he wasn't doing going through his routines as often as he should um and you know when he was go, doing well he didn't think he needed to uh stay on top of things as much as he need, as he should have and then yeah with everything on top of what's been going on with Yandy Diaz and everything uh I just don't I I don't know what to make with it I don't want to wildly speculate because I'm not in the clubhouse. I don't know what's going on, but um, based on 
what I had seen from Yandy Diaz coming up through the minors. And I know Jake Bowers had that too, coming up through the minors. He had good talent coming up. And, uh, you know, former f- first-round pick had some definite talent there. Uh, but I know that Yandy Diaz probably um, had talent that, uh, on at least on one level, surpassed uh, Jake Bowers as far as his patience at the plate and ability to get on base, I think, was above and beyond almost anybody I, I had seen up to that point. And so I think he definitely deserved more of a look just based on that. I know the Indians wanted him to hit for more power as well as a lot of people. But, uh, again, not trying to wildly speculate here, but what what happened here with Jake Bowers, uh, you know, not going through his routines and following what the Indians are trying to instill versus uh, what went on with Yandy Diaz and, you know, maybe he doesn't do what the Indians want and all of a sudden he's out. I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, everybody read into it last year is that what uh, Diaz wasn't working hard enough, that he wasn't taking extra fielding practice or some other stupid stuff that was going on that we don't know about. We thought there was some sort of disconnect there between he and Francona that Francona didn't like his routines or, or lack of a routine or whatever he was going out. We don't know. We don't, we really don't know enough to know what happened other than that weird comment about taking extra fielding practice or something. Yeah. Um, to now, to now have that same issue surface with Bowers. And apparently that came out after I was reading Keith law, uh, had a, a chat today on ESPN that, uh, this apparently was something that happened last year in Tampa Bay and, he got mad at Tampa Bay for trying to change his swing uh, too much to unlock more power. He thought his swing was good. Uh, I think that's part of why Tampa Bay was okay with parting with him. Um, and the Indians just have not really been good at developing hitters in the minors of their own. The whole situation is weird, and, and it's not like the Indians to, to miss on – vetting somebody's character or work ethic or routines, usually that's the first thing they do. You know, they, they worry about the kind of fit, the kind of, kind of player he is, the kind of character he has. And then they consider if he passes that test, then they consider how much he helps the baseball club. So for the Indians to swing and miss on that is, is pretty crazy to me, especially since you would think Kevin Cash would have given – Terry Francona the lowdown, and maybe maybe Frank, maybe maybe we're overlooking this. And maybe Cash said, you know, he is a good guy, and you just have to worry about that. But um, it's just a one-off thing, and he'll, they'll fix it. I don't know, but you would—it's not like the Indians to to miss on that. Yeah, and like you said, I don't want to read too much of it after one season, but if this is an established pattern, I think it's definitely cause for concern at this point, especially, um, when, you know, when you get those guys who, you know, get frustrated easily, don't want, don't want to, uh, conform to, uh, coaching advice and, uh, and or- organizational advice on how to become more successful. Um, uh, I don't, I, I totally, I'm totally with you there. It doesn't sit right with me, and I mean, I guess you know, not every organization is perfect, but yeah, to swing and miss that much for an organization that values uh, personal integrity and character so highly, as much as the Indians, it it does not seem like them at all. But 
again, I don't want to go down the conspiracy theory road uh, because, you know, we kind of went down this road a lot with Jesus Aguilar, too, who, although he's kind of come back to earth after that all-star season he had in 2018. But um, the Yandy Diaz thing, that, I don't think that's going to sit right with me for a while because uh haven't seen him in person in the minors as long as I did. It He defied uh, so much of what I had seen as far as talent, hitting talent, uh, I had seen up until that point. The only one who really even comes close, I would say, would be, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe Nolan Jones, maybe, uh, I can't even think of, I can't even think of anybody who even comes close to that level of hitting talent. I mean, I know he, again, I know he didn't have the power, uh, numbers, but uh, everything else, I had just never seen somebody that as consistent as Yandy Diaz was in the minors, and, you know, now he's doing great things for Tampa Bay, and it just, it, it definitely irks me, because I feel like the Indians should have given him, him more of a chance, but again, not beating a dead horse here, I don't want to go down the road, but we've visited so many times, but uh, it's still, it's it's not going to sit right with me for a while, I think is what I'm getting down to. Yeah, I think it's going to be an issue going forward, and, and on... Uh, you know, Jake Bowers, I think, on his own has to be evaluated as a player. I think that's the unfair part is you can't – I know, and that's what everyone wants to do with trades is, is you want to evaluate, well, who won, who lost the trade, or you want to see who was the better the better player in the trade. But I think it's still okay to just judge Jake Bowers on his own without having to compare him to Yanni Diaz the rest of the way, even though I know that's usually how it goes, but – I also think the Indians probably knew that giving Yandy Diaz more bats would have been good for him. I don't think that was lost on them. I still think part of this trade had to do more with setting themselves up for 2020 and beyond. I think they thought that getting a younger player who could play the outfield, even though he wasn't good in the outfield this year, I think they're banking on the fact that he might become competent in the outfield, although his work ethic as a hitter isn't great. Is he going to put the work ethic in to be a – a great outfielder. That's another question. I think you have to start asking now. Um, well, you know what? I'm thinking. I back, I'm, sorry to interrupt. I'm thinking back now. I'm recalling like interviews early on in the season, maybe even before the season. They were talking about playing Bowers in the outfield, and I think he actually said on record during interviews like he actually preferred playing first base, but it, you know he'd do whatever the team once and uh, I you know I didn't think much of it at the time, but uh, I, maybe there's something to that as well. There could be, and I and they said in the Agassiz interview that they were going to hope to have him in left field or right field next year, possibly both both spots at some point. So I don't know. We'll see what the off season looks like, you know, and and what spring training looks like for him. But I I still think that trade had more to do with setting themselves up for 2020 and beyond. And I, I think they knew, I think they knew Diaz was going to be better in 2019 than Bowers. I don't think that's unreasonable to think and they again I think they were really hoping for they're really hoping they wouldn't regress too much and the twins wouldn't be that good and that's why they were okay with with doing that so I still think you have to judge Bowers on his own though and his future I think you can't worry about what Diaz is going to do I think you have to evaluate Diaz as a player uh, Bowers as his own player and 2019 was not good for him these comments aren't good for him so it's not off to a good start and I I think it's fair. Like I said, I think it's fair to question his work ethic. I think it's fair, and as far as a hitter, and as far as an outfielder, 
um, given those comments. And, and again, when we reading those comments, we didn't hear them out loud. When we read, and Francona said Bowers was accepting an understanding of, of those, that, that exit interview, and he was on the same page as them. So maybe it's a young player learning, but out of, I don't want to say out of context, but those comments on their own don't paint a great picture of 2019 Jake Bowers. And I think, I think maybe the fairest thing to say is, is not the question is work ethic, but the fairest thing to say is he's got some real work to do to improve in 2020 based on those comments. Yeah. And and the Indians are pretty close play things pretty close to the vest, uh, as far as their internal, um, their internal workings and uh, how they are going about uh, working with their players. So to come out sort of publicly and say something like that, I think says a lot uh, in and of itself. But um, really quick before we move on from Jake Bauer, because I don't want to spend too much time uh, demonizing him. Uh, but uh, do you think that 2020, based on everything that happened this year with him on the field and now off the field, as we've learned, do you think that this is going to be a make or break year for him? 2020? Um, no, I don't think so. I think they're going to give him plenty of chances at this point. I think they, I think that's why they made the trade. They felt like his future was a good one. I think they felt that they were banking on a kid who had more upside the next couple of years than Yandy Diaz would have long term. Um, and like I said, even though I just said you can't compare those two, I think that for the fact that they did make that trade, I think they're going to give Bowers every chance to force his way back into an integral role. And if they have somebody else who passes them up, then they might go in that direction because of Bowers past transgressions. Um, but I think they're going to give him every opportunity to prove it at this point. Unless, like I said, unless somebody really beats down the door. Right. Okay. So we'll see what that uh, storyline, how that develops in the 2020. But, uh, so that'll be interesting to follow. I did not hear those comments. So I'm glad you brought those to light because, uh, that's definitely speaks volumes in my, in my mind. So, uh, that was right, the most surprising thing that came out of everything yesterday. Like picking up Kluber's option, declining Kipnis's and declining Otero's. Those were all expected options or expected decisions and outcomes. The, the comments from Bowers were like the most, or about Bowers were the most surprising thing of, of, the um, end of the year press conference. Right. Okay. So uh, let's go ahead and give our uh, most valuable Indians pitcher, hitter, and reliever of 2019. And I think all of these are pretty uh, standard. Uh, we pretty much know who these are going to be. But I'll let you go first with the uh, most valuable Indians pitcher. Who would you uh, say that would be? Oh, it's got to be Shane Bieber. I mean, yeah. when Clevenger, Kluber, and Carrasco were all out, who did the Indians, the Indians lean on? Second year, Shane Bieber, and he won the All-Star Game MVP. I mean, you can't ask for much more than what Bieber gave you this year. Yeah, absolutely. I totally uh, in lockstep with you there with uh, Bieber, and I think we're pretty much simpatico with the be- uh, best hitter of 2019 as well, um, being Carlos Santana, at least for me. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, he saved their offense until uh, Lindor got healthy and Ramirez turned it around and they added some other pieces. Without him, they weren't even in the race because they would have been disastrously bad in April and May. So I give that, uh, give them both like the 
best pitcher, best hitter, and then also a little bit added uh, pat on the back because they definitely were the driving forces behind the Indians in 2019, without a doubt, because I think without both of those, uh, either one individually, but I definitely without both of them, uh, the Indians would not have been as close to the playoffs as they would have been. They would have been a 500 team, if not worse. So uh, we've got those two there. Best reliever of 2019. This is a little more of a little more uh, sketchy, I would say, because, uh, you know, the bullpen was good, not great at times. They had some struggles down the stretch here. Brad Hand was awesome in the first half, uh, really struggled in the second half. So not a, a clear-cut candidate there, but who do you have? I'm, I'm just going to be surprising. I'm going to go with Tyler Clippard. I think Tyler Clippard was kind of a key cog there that calmed things down and uh, was maybe the most consistent reliever they had. And, and not only that, but he also was the opener for a couple times that the Indians needed to go with a bullpen game. So I'm actually going to go with Tyler Clifford. You and I are right there uh, in sync <laughs> once again. Uh, of great minds think alike, I guess. I also have Tyler Clifford uh, with Nick Wickren as probably the second best option. Yep. I thought maybe you were going to go with Wickren. I thought about Wickren too because he kind of came out of nowhere, but the Indians were pretty adamant about sticking with Clippard, even though he got hurt in spring training. So I think they uh, that says something about him, and I wonder if he'll be back next year. I'm wondering. I think it'll be worth it because, you know, he's you know he's a year older. He's getting up there, getting toward the, probably toward the end of his career, but, you know, he's still a guy who can go out there and pitch in the seventh, eighth inning, maybe even the ninth inning a few times and give you – Give you what he can. Give you some strikeouts. Uh, he'll give you some quality innings. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be uh, disappointed if they tr- decided to bring him back for another year, give him some more veteran presence in the bullpen, especially you know now that Dan Otero is most likely not going to be no longer going to be with the club, and probably uh, Oliver Perez as well. Although, does this, he has a vesting option, doesn't he, Perez? Or is that was that for this year? Yeah, yeah, I know his option did vest for 2020. He pitched enough games, so he will be back in 2020. All right, so uh, Perez will be back. Uh, I I wouldn't hate having Clipper back as well, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, Biggest surprises and disappointments of 2019. What would you say would be the biggest surprise development of 2019 for the Indians? Ooh, that's a good question. Biggest surprise. Um, I'm going to go with Shane Bieber again, actually. I think... I really, I mean, I, I was, again, we, we said, this, I don't know how many times in the podcast, we all felt like we we're high on Shane Bieber, but I don't know if I ever saw Shane Bieber becoming an all-star pitcher and, and being a number, I mean, yeah, I thought maybe he could be a number two, but he he had, what, 250 strikeouts? That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I'm gonna 253, go I think, was his final total, or 256, something like that. So, um, I, yeah. I'm... I'm with you there. Um, I'm going to kind of zoom out a little bit and just set from that point and say just the overall starting pitching depth for uh, 2019 because if you had asked us before the season uh, if the Indians would still win, as you said, 93 games and be in postseason con- contention with the in- with injuries or illness to uh, Corey Kluber, Mike Clevenger, Carlos Carrasco, and then a trade of Trevor Bauer. So essentially four of your uh, presumed five starters, opening day starters uh, in 2019 would get hurt, ill, or traded uh, during the course of the season, and the Indians would still win 90-plus games. I think anybody would have said you were crazy, but that's just – 
goes to show you how the pitching depth really stepped up. I mean, Mike Clevenger and Shane Bieber were awesome, but to see Jeffrey Rodriguez, Zach Plezak, Aaron Savale, and Adam Plutko all step up, uh, I think had to be the biggest surprise development of 2019 and really a credit to the Indians' uh, farm system and being able to step up uh, with that pitching depth when it most needed. Because I don't think Aaron Savale nor Zach Plezak were on our radar for uh, as pitching depth for the Indians in 2019. Uh, I don't. I think you and I are pretty much in agreement. Did you see either Aaron Savale or uh, Zach Plezak getting major league innings in 2019? Not at all, considering the fact that Sam Hentges was on a 40-man roster. McKenzie looked like he was next in line, and... Don't forget Jim Carlos Mejia was on the 40-man roster, and there were people who thought that he could have made it up this year at some point. So for Savali and Plesak to all pass up those three guys due to injury or or two guys due to injury and other things, that's incredible. So I, that's my biggest surprise. Uh, the biggest disappointment of 2019, we may have already covered it uh, with the Jake Bowers thing, but I'll let you go ahead and give your biggest disappointment of 2019. You know, you went macro on on the biggest uh, surprise, so I'm going to go macro on the disappointment, and I'm going to say it's the bad off season of 2018, not having any depth to withstand injuries. Like, uh, I mean, okay, they didn't withstand Jose Ramirez not turning things around until the second half. That really hurt them in the first half. And trying to rely on Hanley Ramirez and Carlos Gonzalez too long and not having anybody else to turn to and having to – bank on rookies. I'm going to go macro and say that was the biggest disappointment. Yeah. Um, I, w- I was going to point to Jake Bowers. Or Brad Hand's second half. Yeah, Brad Hand's <laughs> second half was pretty bad too, but um, you know there, there was so much of a burden placed on him with uh, the bullpen being, as we've mentioned, a shell of his former self. So many new guys, new personnel, turnover based from previous years. So uh, I don't want to put that all on him, but um, yeah, it was very hard to watch him pitch in, in the second half. Uh, Jake Bowers was very hard to watch the plate at times, and now we may know why based on that. But um, I think I, I got to agree with you there. The bat, I, I don't know. Do we call it a bad offseason? Because there were some positives. We saw, uh, you know, bringing Carlos Santana back, which clearly was a big uh, key component to the Indian success this year. Um, and we saw some uh, saw some minor trades. Uh, we clear, opened up the door for guys like Oscar Mercado and Jordan Loop. We got brought in Jordan Luplo. Um So I don't want to call it a horrible offseason, but um, they definitely did not set themselves up for success with uh, position player depth because – you know, as you said, bringing in guys like Hanley Ramirez and Carlos Gonzalez, who were clearly on the downside of their careers, um, trying to rely on them, and then um, not having the depth. You know, where you have to turn to Mike Freeman again, who was solid this year, definitely performed above expectations, and Ryan Flaherty, who, as I said, is who he is at this point. Uh, I think was. Uh, a failure on the uh, front office's part to really prepare for um, injuries, uh, which, you know, I know that injuries to the starting rotation, as devastating as the Indians saw this year, that's hard to foresee. But um, if you lose one of Francisco Lindor or one or both of Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez, you know you need somebody to step up there. And they didn't have anybody. They had Eric Stamets, Yu Chang in the minors to step up. And then, as we said, Ryan Flaherty and 
Max Moroff and uh, and Mike Freeman. That's pretty much the only infield options they had. So uh, I think that was that that was something on the front office's part that maybe they could have prepared for, better for in the off season. But uh, yeah, I think I think I'm in agree with, with you there. I would say, let's be fair here. Unless you are going to have a payroll like the Yankees, Red Sox, or Dodgers, there aren't a lot of teams in baseball that can withstand a injury to Francisco Lindor. And he was only out three weeks, and he was very good this year. He was still really good. Um, and then Jose Ramirez just being terrible in the first half and then getting hurt. Like, There's no way you can replace those guys in, in any lineup unless you have the money or you're willing to have the payroll that the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox have to sort of put expensive depth in place. And you know what, to be fair, the Yankees didn't even spend a lot of money on Mike Ford, Mike Talkman, and, and Giovanni Urshela. Those guys were all pretty cheap, and they still ended up being really good. So I, I don't even know if you can say payroll is a factor, but answer, answer me this. And this, probably, this isn't really fair, but I'll put you on the spot and just say this. If – the Indians had Michael Brantley in left field this year. Do they make the playoffs? Ooh. They only finish out three by three games. Ooh, man, that's tough. I mean, yeah, I got into my head. I would rather, much rather, have Michael Brantley back uh, for a couple more seasons. Um, I think that they are still in a good position at the end of 2019 for the future of the outfield because of the likes of Jordan Luplo and, you know, Tyler Naquin had a nice bounce back season. who We didn't even mention because, you know, he got hurt, but he's still a factor in the outfield, could be a viable platoon option, maybe with Luplo moving forward. Um, you know, Bradley Zimmer came back. Uh, he was playing well uh, in rehab and then got worked his way all the way back up to Cleveland. He'll be a factor next year. And then, of course, you have Daniel Johnson, Who's going to be knocking on the door? So I think the outfield they they'll be in good hands. But uh, going back to your original question, if Michael Brantley was in left field for the Indians this year. Would they have made the playoffs? It definitely would have lengthened the lineup a bit more because you know you probably would have had Brantley hitting uh, like second or fifth or so- somewhere there. Um, so and with his consistency in at at the top of the order, um, especially when Lindor was hurt and then with the inconsistency of Jose Ramirez, I think maybe, yeah, I think it probably saves them. Maybe not the uh, losses down the stretch, not necessarily, but I think early on in the season when the offense was really struggling, I think that they could have uh, maintained a little more consistency when things were not going so good uh, offensively early on in the season. And what if they would have signed, and then he didn't have as good a year, but, um, you know, I would think that Marwin Gonzalez would have been somebody you could have relied on a little bit better than Mike Freeman and, and Eric Stamens and Max Moroff as well. So they, I'm, I'm just saying there were options to be had to give them some depth or some coverage for other things like happening, like a Lindor injury, even if it was brief or – Ramirez not finding himself. And I'll even, to be to balance it out, I'll even say that if Jose Ramirez didn't have a bad first half and he was as good as we know he can be in the first half, I still games like the playoffs that, that way too. And I'm not blaming this all on Ramirez, but I still, that's how, that's how good I think Jose Ramirez is. I think that's fair. I think if he was as good as he normally is 
in the first half, then the Indians will be in the playoffs as well. I would have signed Marwin Gonzalez just so he doesn't have to hit against the Indians anymore. Just stop hitting against the Indians? I think he has like a career 487 <laughs> batting average against the Indians. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, any any two of those guys could have made a big difference. So that's why I'm saying the offseason was a frustrating, was, was the disappointment because I think that they they cost themselves a playoff berth by just by simply not adding even just one free agent or, or a bat on anything other than a minor league deal. I think Marwin Gonzalez or Michael Brantley could have been had uh, on a, like a solid two-year deal difference. with an option or a three-year deal. Um, I don't think they – I forget the, Mar- the terms of the Marwin Gonzalez deal, but I definitely believe Michael Brantley could have been had. Um, and I don't – if memory serves, I don't – I'll look up Marwin Gonzalez's contract right now. But um, I, if memory serves, I don't think he signed for that big of a deal with the Twins. Um Let's see, um, but I think that uh, maybe one more free agent could have made a difference this year. But uh, yeah, they uh, two-year, twenty-one million dollar contract. So that's what ten point five million dollars a year. They could have done that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. There, there were options that could have been had to give themselves a little bit of cover for the issues they had this year, and that's why. That's why I said the biggest disappointment of this year was the fact that that was pretty predictable. Right, and I don't know all the money that was saved due to uh, you know swapping it, essentially swapping out uh, Edwin for Santana, but I think they could have scraped together something to bring back either Michael Brantley or sign Marwan Gonzalez. Again, 2020 hindsight, uh, don't want to live in the past too much because I think the Indians do have some good things to look forward to in the future, but I think if if they they wanted to really uh, win in 2019, which I don't know, I think I agree with you. I don't know if they necessarily were uh, had the drive to win in 2019. I think they were just hoping that their roster would be talented enough to win it in 2019, with their eyes uh, looking more towards the future. With Brent, you know, turning attention to some of these rookies, trading for younger players. So this 2020 season, to kind of uh, transition toward the end of the show here, I think this 2020 season is going to be very interesting as far as putting into put it, putting the uh, future into full uh, perspective here because, you know, 2019 was kind of the transitional year. We were seeing guys transition out. Uh, Jason Kipp, this is going to most likely no longer be with the team as they declined his option. Guys like Dan Otero are going to be gone. Trevor Bauer is gone. Uh, Corey Kluber's in his most likely final season. And then there's a lot of young players coming up. So I think this 2020 season um, is going to have a lot of bearing on to whether or not the Indians are going to really truly extend their contention window. I think they can. I think they have the talent to do so. Um, you know, they, it's just is a matter of whether or not some of these guys like Daniel Johnson and, uh, you know, eventually we'll see Nolan Jones and Tristan McKenzie, if they can uh, translate to the majors and uh, really uh, show – uh, what they're made of and prove that their top prospect standing wasn't all in vain. So uh, what are your thoughts here looking towards 2020 and uh, how the Indians look uh, both as uh, playoff contenders, if they're even that and what this roster could look like and uh, what kind of, well, what kind of uh, period are we going to be looking at for the Indians moving forward? Is it going to be continued contention, tra- more transition? What are we looking at here? Yeah, I'm glad you said the word window because I don't. I mean, the Indians don't like looking at it as the word window. I know a lot of fans look at it in terms of 
the window with Francisco Lindor, which we can we should probably get into a little bit too before we finish this because the Indians did make some comments about Lindor's future, and I have some thoughts on that as well. But I think what's important to look at is the Indians aren't looking at things in terms of windows of contention. I think what they did last offseason and what they're trying to do for 2020 has more to do with transitioning the core of the team so that they don't have to worry about rebuilding. I think people who are saying window are looking at it all wrong. You're, yeah, I mean, they only have a short window to win with Lindor here because chances are he's not going to be an Indian after 2021. Um, but I think the way it really looks at is it's the window with the core and how they, how they transition the core of the team to the next generation. You know, you already saw that with Michael Brantley and, um, you know, I guess Andrew Miller was part of that and Lonnie Chisholm Hall and Josh Tomlin, you already saw some guys leave, you know, eventually Lindor is going to leave. Eventually even Jose Ramirez won't be here. Uh, Corey Kluber is on the end of his deal and he won't be here much longer because of his age and where he's at in his career. They did sign Carrasco a little bit longer, but you're looking at how the Indians are going to transition the core to the next generation. You know, they've gone from what the, uh, well, the unfortunate Nick Swisher and Michael Bourne and <laughs> Shubal Cabrera and they, even Carlos Santana left briefly, you know, how do they transition the next generation so they can still be a competitive baseball team and can be for division championships. We know how good the farm system is at the lower levels, especially at the middle infield. Uh, and adding Daniel Johnson to be part of it next year, now making Mercado part of the core, um, and then having, like you said, like we saw this year, Plesak and Savali and, and Bieber and, and Clevenger taking the reins as the top of the rotation guys. So it's just about how the Indians are able to successfully transition the core of Kluber, Carrasco, Lindor, Ramirez, the next group that's led by Clevenger, Bieber, or Nolan Jones, and Daniel Johnson, Oscar Mercado, and you hope, you know, a George Valera, Tyler Freeman, uh, you know, those guys. It's about how they transition them. That's why I was part of picking up a guy like Logan Allen and, and Framo Reyes to add to the core. And I think that's why it's so important going forward to think of it that way is you're not, you're not going to find, I don't know, Juan Soto is a generational player, and it's hard to develop those guys without them being looking like studs from the age of 17 when the, when the Nationals signed him. But, look, the Nationals lost Bryce Harper, and they made the playoffs this year. They didn't make the playoffs last year. And I know their rotation is expensive as hell, um, and they're going to lose Anthony Rendon. But, you know, they, they managed to survive losing a star because they managed to build a roster – and then they develop, they, they transition to, to another young star. That's what the Indians have to do, and I think that's what they tried to do with their last offseason is set things up so they can transition things to the next core of players. Sorry, that was a little long-winded, but I think that's kind of where it's at. If you ask me, I think that the next couple years, as far as Indians developing for the future and establishing this new core, I think they have the pieces, both in the majors now and in the upper levels of the minors, to build a pretty 
pretty good pitching staff. We already know that Bieber and, and Clevenger are going to be probably aces of this staff for the foreseeable future. And then we've already seen what uh, Zach Plezak and Aaron Savali can do. They can probably be solid middle of the rotation or back of the rotation arms. And then all the pitching depth we mentioned uh, – Working its way up through, through the system. Eli Morgan, Sam Henkes, uh, Logan Allen, Tristan McKenzie, Scott Moss, all those guys. So, And then uh, in the bullpen side, you've got James Karinchak, who has future closer written all over him. Uh, you have, you, you have um, Nick Sandlin, who could be a future setup man. Um, you have uh, Robert Broom. Um, those three right there seem to be your most viable uh, relief pitching options. But then you also got guys like Jared Robinson uh, and and I'm trying to I'm blanking on names here, but um, there there are so many uh, relief pitching options working their way up through the system right now um, who could be uh, viable options moving forward. So I think the Indians have pieces in place to be to build a. a a pretty good starting rotation and bullpen for the future. What I think is going to be so key these next couple of years is how they translate that position player talent, how Daniel Johnson and Nolan Jones are going to f- figure into the equation and Tyler Freeman eventually. Um, and, you know, f- further down the line, guys like George Valera, because I think that, you know, how these guys translate is going to spell the future of the Indians because the future without uh, Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez looks pretty bleak right now. But if they can translate a Nolan Jones, a Daniel Johnson, a George Valera to become the future starting uh, cornerstone position players of of the big league squad moving forward, say like twenty after twenty twenty one twenty twenty two, I would say. I mean, I know this is looking a little further down the road, but I think that um, the position player talent they have working their way up to the farm system, it a lot of the Indians' future hinges on how these guys develop because I think they have a lot of pitching options on both sides of the ball to be able to uh, build a, a quality uh, pitching staff moving forward, but they don't have as many, as much wiggle room with this uh, position player talent, so I think they really need to focus on developing these guys and hope they pan out because, you know, after Lindor and Ramirez, it, it falls in the hands of Nolan Jones and Tyler Freeman and Daniel Johnson and George Valera to be able to develop and become the cornerstone pieces moving forward, so again, I'm kind of getting long-winded with this too, but that's kind of my view on where the future of this organization lies. Yeah, it, it like this is gone now. They traded Gomes. I mean, all those guys were part of the last core, and now, you know, like like we both just said, it's about how they get to the next, how they get to the next core, and how they do it without having to rebuild, and how they have to do it with that while they can still maintain some level of, of competitiveness and try to win divisions at the same time, like Oakland has done for the last couple of years when they only made the wild card, but you know, they've kind of just retooled their entire roster on the fly. Yeah. And, uh, if the Indians can accomplish that, because that's the way you got to win as a small to mid market team, cause you're not going to have the payroll. The Dolans have made it clear that you're not going to have the, that the payroll every year to, uh, 
build a World Series contending roster through free, trades and free agency. So you got to develop. The Indians are doing a pretty good job of that right now. They, they've replenished their farm system uh, a lot in recent years, especially with the international market um, at the lower levels. But um, you know they got to keep doing that and keep de- building and developing. And as you said, you know they haven't. Other than Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez, they ha- haven't developed a ton of position player talent. So they need to figure out that out and how to do that moving forward to make sure that the guys who are they have a lot invested in for the future, they need to devote all their focus and attention to those guys and making sure that they develop and become the uh, star players that they hope they become because uh, that's a lot of the future depends on that. So, uh Again, I don't want to go too far down that road, but uh, since you mentioned Lindor, we'll finish up the show with this. Uh, Lin- Lindor uh, has two more years left on this deal, and I think a lot of people are frustrated with 2019 because, you know, it in essence, if you want, for lack of a better term, wastes a valuable year of Lindor's time in Cleveland by not uh, making the playoffs and not trying to win a World Series. So, uh, with two more years left on Lindor's contract, uh, what 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 do you see going on with that? Uh, you know, I know the Indians made some comments uh, that you wanted to react to, so uh, I'll, I'll uh, give it over to you on this. Yeah, I mean, the Indians just got out in front and said uh, in the exit, in the exit press conference of the media, saying that they that Lindor is going to be here next year. They're not trading him. They actually came out and said that, which I was surprised by because you know there were so many rumors last offseason about Kluber and Bauer or even Carrasco, and they were saying you know, well, we're lucky enough to have this good pitch and people are interested in. They never, like, shot down the fact that they were not going to trade one of them. They just kind of were saying, you know, yeah, people are interested. They're going to call us because they're good. They flat out said they're not trading Lindor. Now, that may not be true. I still think they're gonna, you're going to see rumors about listening to offers, and I still expect someone like a Buster Olney or Ken Rosenthal in the offseason to say the Indians are going to listen, for, listen on, on offers to Lindor because they always do this. Um, but, you know, the fact that the Indians came out and said that, I think is at least something. So for better or for worse, whether they hang, they got in front of it and said they're not trading them and they don't, they they try to squash the rumors, or they trade them and you have to look back at the comments and say, well, that, uh, that was not good, so or that was, you know, they had it on record and, and then it not being true. So either way, something's on record, which I think is interesting, considering they didn't do it last offseason. It's kind of a with, – with Lindor, unless they come out with the announcement that they've uh, reached an agreement on an extension for Lindor, it's kind of – they're kind of in a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of uh, posture with uh, Lindor because they don't – if they don't trade him and let him walk in free agency, people are going to say, why didn't you trade him when he had value? Uh, if you trade him, uh, then the fans are just going to, are probably going to be even more angry because it's going to fall in the same vein as the uh, Cliff Lee, CeCe Sabathia trades. Um, it, people are, whether it's fair or justified or not, that's the way it's going to be regarded. So you're not going to make fans happy either, either road you take uh, with Lindor in these final two years. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know how to feel about a person who, like, this team needs so much better PR. Their PR has been so bad the last two years. It may it may be better in the long run to let Lindor just play out here and 
if he walks in 2021, he walks, you give him a qualifying offer and you get a draft pick rather than trading him because I think tra- I think trading him just kind of gaslights the fan base. Losing him is bad enough, then trading him on top of that, even if it is a bad decision to not trade him, you know, as far as baseball or the baseball decision is, I mean, that, that's one thing, but I, I kind of get the feeling at the moment they're going to try to ride it out with him as long as they can and not trade him. I just think that's a bad book. Again, this is all stuff we'll probably discuss at at length on multiple occasions during the off season and over these next couple of seasons and however long Lindor's here. So uh, unfortunately, we have to have these discussions. I'm still holding holding out hope, uh, faint hope that the Indians will surprise us all and come out with, "Hey, we signed Lindor to a 10 year contract extension," and <laughs> everybody's dancing in the streets. But I know that's a very remote chance of happening. So I'm just going to enjoy him as Paul Dolan. Uh, so eloquently put it last off season, but uh, uh, I don't want to end the yeah. show on this. But uh, I know we wanted to discuss it. But uh, let's go ahead and end on our final thoughts on 2019, looking ahead to 2020. Uh, anything you just want to uh, kind of summarize here to end the show? It was just a bizarre, bizarre season. I like I said to start the show, I didn't know how to how to encapsulate the whole thing because it was a bizarre, bizarre season. So many so many weird things happen. Good things happen, bad things happen. Like I said, it was not – it felt like three or four seasons in one. So <laughs> I, I, I still have – I still have a lot of good thoughts and a lot of good hope for 2020. But 2019 was just as weird as I think you could predict a season to be. Yeah, and – it, what else was weird about it was I have said multiple times throughout the year, especially when they got going in June and August, um, that when they were you know, climbing their way back into the division race, eventually they overtook the Twins briefly at the top of the division after coming back from, was it, 11 and a half games back, 12 games back uh, early on in the season. And I would say that um, based on that climb back to the top of the division, however brief it was, uh, and then staying in the playoff race through the rest of the year until about mid-September, I think uh, that was that whole period between June and early and early to mid-September was more fun of baseball than the Indians played probably in all of 2018. So that's what kind of was weird to me because I think the Indians played a lot of fun baseball in 2019 and meaningful baseball and exciting baseball. It was just. Um, that, that goes to show you how weird 2018 was because, you know, they won the division by so many games and, you know, they never really got themselves going versus this year, you know, when they, they got going in June when, and really stayed hot in the July and part of August when they needed to. And then they got hot again in early September, but then fell apart late. But uh, so, as you said, they had their ups and downs. The All-Star game was fun. The festivities were fun. Uh, Shane Bieber winning the All-Star MVP was awesome. So um, there was a lot of good to be had in 2019, the development of rookies, uh, the stepping up of some guys they acquired in trades, the return of Carlos Santana, the step up of uh, Shane Bieber and Mike Clevenger at the top of the rotation, passing the baton uh, from the Kluber, Bauer, uh, Carrasco generation. Uh, So a lot of good happened in 2019, but ultimately the culmination of frustration, I think, is 
what is going to be we're going to be left with for 2019 and we'll see what 2020 brings uh i too am positive and optimistic about 2020 with what the players they have coming up and uh what they have in store uh in the farm system for 2020 but uh they got a lot of work to do to get to get back to the top of the division because i don't think the twins are going anywhere the white Sox are probably going to be on the rise uh, sooner rather than later so they're going to have their work cut out for them in 2020, but I think that if 2019 was a transitional year, I think that they accomplished that in a way, even though they probably hope for a better outcome. But I think that 2020 is probably going to be a little more serious as far as uh, trying to extend that contention window. Yeah, I mean, I keep saying this every year, going back to 2016, with how their injuries betrayed them and is going into the playoffs, you know, I have Michael Brantley, but you would think that there's no way the Indians could have worse injury luck in 2020 than they had this year, right? I mean, I thought that in 2017, and then what, Brantley went down, Chisnall went down, and Edwin went down to playoffs, and Kluber was hurt at the end of the season, and then last year they had guys banged up, and then this year was a complete disaster health-wise. You would think the Indians were due for some sort of positive injury luck. Hopefully. I mean, goodness, uh, this goes back to 2016 and all the injuries they had. So they got to finally get something together. Hopefully uh, the baseball gods have been appeased uh, for whatever uh, the Indians did to them. And uh, hopefully 2020 is bring some uh, better uh, health for them. So uh, got to knock on wood. Hopefully that uh, that is that is the case in 2020. But uh, they definitely need it. Uh, because as I said, uh, the Twins aren't going anywhere. The White Sox are probably getting better, and uh, they're going to have some co- tough competition. The Yale field is going to be just as tough because the Yankees and Astros are also going to be tough cu- customers as well. I don't think the Rays are going anywhere, and the A's are always tough to figure out. I never know what to make of them, but they're probably still going to be in the mix as well. But um, between those top four teams, the Yankees, Astros, Twins, and, and Rays, I think – you know they got tough sledding ahead of them, but I think they're going to have some good talent to, and exciting talent to look forward to developing in 2020. So uh, we're going to see more coming up, and uh, I'm excited for that. Uh, so if there's anything positive to take away from this, uh, I'm excited for to see more of the next generation uh, come up to Cleveland and hopefully establish themselves. Yeah, I think next year you'll see more of the next wave come up next year, and they'll hope to win with that new wave. All right, Justin, so uh, we've kind of gone a little long here, but I know since we didn't have a show last week due to the audio issues, I think we uh, needed to cover a lot of ground here, especially with the season ending. So hopefully those listeners who are still with us, thanks for listening, and thanks for listening for all of 2019. I know it didn't end the way we wanted, but uh, we still tried to bring you some uh, topical discussion uh, on the Indians front and – it's always fun to do this podcast and talk tribe every week. So uh, thanks for hanging with us. Uh, Justin, any final plugs you want to get in uh, before we wrap things up for the uh, regular podcast season of 2019? Yeah, I'm trying to put a lot of my thoughts into a written form. It's been a struggle to get some, some pen there, some digital ink to paper right now. Um, but I'm going to have that up tomorrow. And then we're going to roll into some – I'm going to have – Towards the end of the month, I'm going to have the um, 
the 2019 minor league awards. So we'll have, you know, what was formerly known as the, uh, the Tony awards. It'll be the IBI awards. So that's going to focus back on minor leaguers. So that'll be up, um, throughout the month. And then you, myself and Michael Kuba will eventually have, um, our, uh, minor league project coming out at some point. I'm going to get back to you guys and all that here in the next few weeks. Yeah, I figured. So plenty, best, plenty to look forward to the rest of the month. Probably best to wait until the uh, kind of the pain and frustration for of the Indian season ending at this at this point to die down, and then we'll get back to the minor league stuff there. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting going on that. Yeah, uh, I got some good plans for that project, and um, I know I'm planning to do some some prospect spotlights too, like you did last off season. Once we get through a couple other things, I'm definitely planning on bringing that back, and then um, I'll give some thoughts on the AFL when that wraps up as well. Which Nolan Jones home runs in back-to-back days. How about that? Yeah, he's starting to heat up a little bit in the AFL. By the way, uh, uh, I ended up following the AFL and uh, Connor Capel, who's also playing in the AFL for the Cardinals. He did not have a great year in the Cardinals organization. So, kind of going back to the trade thing with uh, Oscar Mercado, that might be another one that works out well in Indian's favor, but obviously uh, Capel still has a little bit of development left ahead of him, so not ruling out him uh, panning out, so just wanted to throw that in as well. As far as my plugs, um, I can't really commit to anything other than that minor league project just because you know I got a wedding in a couple weeks, and obviously a lot of my attention is devoted to that, but I just I'll just uh, say... Thank you to the fans who followed again this podcast and the Smoke Signals podcast or the Farm Report podcast rather throughout 2019. Uh, hopefully, it was just as informative and as poignant a discussion as uh, we've seen in the last few years. Uh, boy, we're wrapping up our I think this is our 12th season uh, of Smoke Signals podcast, so it's been a been a fun ride. So uh, we'll, I don't know when we'll be back in the off season, but we'll certainly let you know, but um, be sure to, as always, follow us on Twitter. As news develops. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Be sure to follow us on Twitter, as always, though. I'm at Jake D Baseball. Justin's at JL underscore Baseball. Uh, You can follow the show account at Smoke Signals IBI. Then we'll get the uh, link for this podcast, as well as others, if you want to go back through the feed. Um, And also follow the site account at official underscore IBI for all the links to the stories and content going up on the site, as well as any breaking news and anything going on there. So, uh, Justin, it was a great uh, season of uh, of Tribe discussion, and uh, uh, great, uh, unfortunately, as we've said many times, it didn't end the way we wanted, but um, we got some good discussion out of it, and looking forward to 2020. I think uh, if... Uh, this was the way the 2019 was supposed to end. Hopefully better things are in store for 2020 because I think that uh, the Indians have some good players coming up, as we said, and hopefully uh, a better results coming in in uh, 2020 campaign. Yeah, I think there's actually going to be a lot to talk about this winter. So I think um, as time allows, I think we're definitely going to have more podcasts this offseason than we might have, might have last year. Like I said, if time allows, but there's going to be a lot to talk about. So I think we'll have some more shows this winter just based on what an off season this has potential to be. Right. So again, that'll come as news develops. So uh, keep an eye on the Twitter feeds. We'll announce those shows as 
as we record them. But uh, for our regularly scheduled weekly podcast, this is the end of the 12th season of Smoke Signals. Thanks for listening and following us throughout the season. Uh, we appreciate your support and also supporting us through another season at IBI. We definitely appreciate all your loyal patronage and uh, hopefully ongoing support as we head into 2020 um been a lot of transition uh some people coming and going but um we appreciate you loyal readers sticking with us through it all and hopefully another season of uh, great minor league and tribe content uh will become forthcoming in 2020 so uh but as far as uh 2019 is concerned we're wrapping things up for justin lotta and the smoke signals podcast and the entire uh, ibi podcast family Uh, Again, we appreciate your support. And for 2019, this is Jake Dungan, and we say to you, have a good one. For questions and comments, you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at SmokeSignalsIBI, where you can find links to all our shows, as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening.